Good morning. If we can, let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, we'll be looking at verses 54 to chapter 8, verse 3, but actually we'll be starting at Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Uh, for today's passage, we actually have about 70 verses to go through, so please extend a little bit of grace as I kind of just summarize a few parts as we work through the book of Acts. And as you guys are turning there, I do want to just affirm what Rafe said so well, is that as a church, we do step into the brokenness. We step into the hurt. We are present in all of that. And I also want to let you know, too, that if you're sitting here today and you're just, you, just, you just don't know how to process what you're feeling, you don't know how to process the frustration and anger that's going in your heart, I just want to let you know that knowing... Rafe, your elders, and also your deacons, they would love to come alongside of you and care for you in that way. So please, after this service is done, this gathering is done, just make a beeline to Rafe or any of your deacons and elders, and they'll be more than glad to grab a cup of coffee with you and just to pray with you. That that's also a big way, too, of how we, as a church, right, strengthen each other during this time. This is one of the ways that we stand out, you know, when in a moment of just cultural division, that the church is unified, that it cares for each other, that it supports each other. So I just want to let you know that we are here for you. We love you. Whatever we can do to support you, we want to do just that. So let's go ahead and do this, okay? So Acts chapter 7, and I'm going to read from verses 54 to chapter 8, verse 3, to kind of give us a, a little idea of what's going on here today. It says this, now when, they, now when they heard these things, they were enraged, what they were hearing from Stephen after he gave his sermon. And they ground their teeth at Stephen. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, they called, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. All right. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Growing up in the 90s was a very special time for us here in Chicago because we had one of the best, no, no not, not one of, we had the best basketball dynasties in all of human history. The Chicago Bulls, led by his heiress, Michael Jordan. And for some of you who were not born yet in the 90s, you just don't know how good he was, all right? At the peak of his superstardom, everyone in the world wanted to be like him. I wanted to be like him. That I would be at home flying in the air with my tongue out, you know, ah, you know and trying to dunk my Nerf basketball, you know, or I'll be working out my fadeaway shots. And even today, when I have a basketball and I take a shot, you know, right before I take up the shot, I say, MJ, and I miss. That's what I do, okay? 
Now, he was so popular that Gator, Gatorade even made a little jingle that said, if I could be like Mike. Everyone wanted to be like Michael Jordan. And I'm sure that as I bring up this story, many of us are thinking back of our childhood and the people that we wanted to emulate growing up. But I do want to encourage you that for today, that for today, as a growing Christian, I would hope that all of us in this room are aspiring to be like Christ. You know, today we come to the story of Stephen, and last week we saw that he was one of the seven people selected as a servant, as a deacon, to minister to the widows. And as, we, and as we just read in our verses, we will also see that Stephen would be the first martyr of the gospel in the book of Acts. Now, the focus of our sermon today will not be on his martyrdom, but on this central question. Do you want to be like Jesus? Now, this question isn't just central for our sermon. This is a question that is central for our lives because the aim of all Christ followers is to be like Jesus. Romans 8, verse 29, God says that he has predestined his people to be conformed to the image of his son. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Dear friends, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. Christ's likeness is the will of God for the people of God. And as we'll see from Stephen's story, everything about him, his character, his words, his ministry, and even his death reflected Christ. You know, notice how Stephen is characterized by the author of Luke here in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6, verse 5, says this about Stephen. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 6, verse 8, and Stephen, full of grace and power. And as Stephen is about to die, it says in verse 55 of chapter 7, but he, full of the Holy Spirit. So don't miss the connection here. Stephen, who looked like Christ, is because he was full of the Spirit of Christ. He wasn't Christ-like because he worked harder than everybody else. He wasn't Christ-like because he had some sort of special anointing or calling like an apostle. No, no, no. We can't become like Christ on our own power, but we can reflect Christ through the Holy Spirit's power. And when the Spirit fills your life, you will look more like Jesus. You will act like Jesus. You will live to glorify Jesus. You will talk like Jesus. And as we see with Stephen here, that even as the world is trying to shake him and oppose him and even kill him, he just kept pouring out the life of Christ. You know, it's kind of like this cup of water here, you know, that is filled to the very top, to the, to the brim here. Now, if you do nothing to this cup of water, right, it just stays there. But if you start to tap it or shake it a bit, you know, it, it begins to spill. And sorry for the mess here, guys, all right? But I'll drink some more here. All right? Now, this is what happens. When you get shaken like this cup, when you get tapped with really challenging circumstances, what comes flowing out of your life? Is it the life of Christ? Is it the fruit of the Spirit? Or is it the flesh? 
We have to remember that you are controlled by whatever fills you. If you are filled with jealousy, the success of others will make you raging mad. If you're filled with lust, your sexual appetites will lead you into greater darkness. If you are filled with anger, you will quarrel and even murder with your own hearts. But if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will be like Stephen. You will live a Christ-exalting life. So for our time here today, this is what Stephen demonstrated when his life was shaken. Just two insights from our many verses here. First is that when Stephen was shaken with life, he was Christ-like in his wisdom of the Word of God. And second, when Stephen was shaken, he was Christ-like in his forgiveness. So first point, he was Christ-like in in his wisdom of the word of God, and second, he was Christ-like in his forgiveness. So first, when shaken, Stephen was Christ-like in his wisdom of the word of God. So what we read here is that Stephen is doing signs and miracles, and he's doing healings, and he is giving all the glory to Jesus, and is expected none of the religious leaders like it. So they begin debating with Stephen, and they are overwhelmed with his brilliance. You know, chapter 6, verse 10, and now I'm just kind of flying through chapter 6 here. Chapter 6, verse 10 says this, But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Notice there, wisdom and spirit, they're together here, right? They're they're complementary here. So they grab Stephen, bring him before the Sanhedrin, the religious council of the day, and they bring up false witnesses to accuse him. Verse 11, chapter 6. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said about Stephen, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. So here are the two false accusations that they're putting against Stephen. Is that first off, Stephen is saying that we don't need the temple, and secondly, he is saying that we don't need the law. So what Stephen does is that he defends himself by giving this incredibly long sermon that retells the history of Israel. That he first talks about Abraham, then Joseph and how the Israelites came out of Egypt. Then he talks about Moses and Joshua and David and Solomon. Now, we can't go through all 50 verses here, but let me just give you a summary of what Stephen is saying. First, Stephen establishes that we don't need the temple to meet with God. So he starts off by saying, first, consider Abraham. He met with God, and there was no temple. God was with Joseph in Egypt, and there was no temple. God met with Moses in the wilderness, and there was no temple. And even after the temple was built, Stephen says in verses 49 to 50, quoting from Isaiah 66, these words, chapter 6, verse 49 to 50. Seven, I'm sorry. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hands make all these things? What this is saying, what Isaiah is saying here, is that God does not live in a box. He doesn't live in walls. He is everywhere because he's the creator of all things. So Stephen's first defense is that it's true. You don't need the temple of God to meet with God because he is everywhere. And you can just imagine that the religious people are just losing their minds because what are you talking about? The temple's where we do our sacrifices. The temple's where we do our works. It's how we earn our salvation. How can you say we don't need the temple? So they're just losing their minds here. 
Now, with the second accusation of how Stephen disregards the law, once again, Stephen defends himself in this sermon by showing through the history of Israel of how the people of God consistently rejected God's command. That under Moses, the people of God did not obey the law and just kept whining. That under Aaron, you didn't obey the law. Instead, you kept worshiping a calf. That under the prophet Amos, you didn't obey the law. Instead, you turned your worship into idol worship of Moloch and Rehem, the sun gods of Egypt, who were well known for their worship of children sacrifices. This is the history of God's people. And you've shown it over and over and over again. They don't obey the law. And this is the connection Stephen is making. I'm not the one breaking the law. He now points to them and says, you are the ones breaking the law. Chapter 7, verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, Jesus here, talking about Jesus, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So Stephen here, in his defense, turns the table on them. I'm not the one opposing God. You're the one. You're acting just like Israel. You have persecuted the prophets, and you have killed Israel's deliverer, Jesus Christ. You are the ones that need to be held accountable, not me. Verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You know, have you ever tried to walk a dog or ride a horse with a stiff neck? It's impossible. They will never move where you want them to move. In the same way, Stephen is saying that God has lovingly tried to persuade you to follow him through his word, but you won't do it. You're too stubborn. You're too prideful. You are stiff-necked. In addition, Stephen says that you are uncircumcised in your heart, which means that their hearts were hard towards God. It was callous towards God. They weren't listening to him. They weren't loving him. That they were going through all this religious ritual, but it was all external. God was nowhere near their hearts. And when you consider the story here, the hypocrisy of the religious leaders, it is stunning. They are saying right now that Stephen is discrediting the law of God, yet they are the ones currently setting up false witnesses and breaking one of God's commandments to not give false testimony. This only goes to show that these men had no concern for God, no concern for truth. Verse 15 even says that when they saw Stephen, his face was like an angel. I think this represents his closeness and intimacy with God. That just like Moses, when he went up to meet God on Mount Sinai and came back with a face that was radiant, Stephen's radiance showed that he was a man who spent a lot of time with God. So these crowds recognized that he was a godly man, but they didn't care. All they cared about was their positions of religious power. This is what Stephen is making clear to the crowds right now. You think your fight is with me? No, 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 no. Your fight is with God. 
And just like your daddies did before you and your daddy's daddy and your daddy's daddy's daddy, you have always been opposing God. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And notice how they respond. When they hear the truth, they hear the truth of their condition. Chapter 7, verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. It says here that they ground their teeth, and it kind of reminds me of what a dog does right before he's about to attack or bite, that they show their teeth, and they're about to growl, and that's exactly what's happening with the crowds. They're about to attack, and they're showing their teeth. Now, let me pause here real quick and ask this question. What does Stephen's example here mean for us? When Stephen was shaken, I want to show you that what spilled out was the word of God. You know, Stephen didn't attend Bible college. You know, he didn't have a seminary degree. He wasn't reading off some sort of gospel track or, or iPad here. Yet before a very hostile crowd with no time to prepare, he gives a powerful gospel sermon. And can I just say that what he does here is very, very reminiscent of what Jesus does when he's faced with opposition, that Jesus always goes back to the spoken word of God, the written word of God. That when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he quotes from Deuteronomy. That when he's questioned about this position on divorce, he quotes from Genesis. When he's on the cross and he's about to die, he quotes from Psalm and everywhere else across Scripture. When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, he would first quote the Old Testament by saying, you have heard it said, but now I say to you. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, saying that it's to love God with everything that you have. When Jesus was being questioned about why his disciples were picking and eating, you know, on the Sabbath, Jesus quotes from 1 Samuel chapter 21 and how David and his men ate from special bread. When Jesus was shaken, he spoke the words of God. And when Stephen was shaken, he spoke the words of God. Why? It's because they were both full of the Spirit. And to be full of the Spirit of God is to be full of the Spirit of truth. And usually this is how it works. It's that the Spirit takes the truth that's already been planted and hidden in our hearts, like in our quiet times, through our scripture memory, you know, through hearing sermons. That's why it's so important for us to listen to sermons, because it's the Word coming into your hearts. Also with podcasts or books, Christian books, all those things. And what happens is that when you saturate yourself in the Word, when life finally shakes you, and it will shake you when Satan tempts you, and he will tempt you when people oppose your beliefs, and they will oppose your beliefs when you're faithful to God's word. The Spirit of God in those moments will bring those promises to bear on our hearts and help us to share it with others. You know, the best examples of these moments is when you share your faith with others. And it's just amazing how when you share your faith with someone who doesn't know Jesus, just how the Spirit gives you gospel truth to share in that moment. And if you guys don't know this, your pastor, Rafe, and many of you here sitting here, you guys are going out on a weekly basis sharing your faith. And one time I had a chance to go with Pastor Rafe, and man, this guy was just dropping like gospel truth bombs like nonstop. It was like amazing. Like he, he looked like an angel. It was incredible, okay? But let me just share my story. I'll share my story. I didn't look like an angel, but let me share my story. So a couple of weeks ago, I was eating with my one, that one person who doesn't know Jesus, but I love so dearly because God loves him. And he was angry. Like, we met up because he was super angry. He, he was a Chinese-American. 
and he was so angry with the violence that he was seeing towards those of Asian descent, right, a couple of weeks ago. And he said to me, Kenson, and we've had a lot of spiritual conversations, this is why I can't be a Christian, because you're too naive. If you want things to change, you've got to fight back. You have got to make those people who hurt us fear us. And immediately when he said that, the Spirit brought to mind what I was actually doing, studying that for my morning devotional. And it was about how Jesus and how he went to the cross, and he didn't curse his enemies, but pleaded for them. That he didn't change the world through power and domination and violence, but actually through sacrifice by experiencing violence on his own body. So with the wisdom of the Spirit, I just unpacked the story of the cross and showed him that being a Christian, like his name's Michael, is not being naive because God never sweeps evil and injustice under the rug. Instead, what we see on the cross is that Jesus suffered every injustice to bring an end to it. That this is the hope that I have. It's not in more violence. My hope is in the transforming love of Jesus. And this is what I shared with Michael. Now, he didn't agree with me one, one bit, but I thank God that he gave me the words to speak at the right time that pointed to Jesus. You know, let me just ask you, when you're shaken, when the trials of life just, you know, just grab you, what comes spilling out of your life? Are you filled with the Spirit? You know, if you are, it will always guide you to truth. So if you're not on a daily basis, now if I can use a negative example, if you're not on a daily basis being drawn to the Word of God, you have to ask yourself, how full am I of the Spirit? That when hardships come and they hit you, when you're shaken, what are the first words that come to mind and come out of your mouth? Is it anger? Is it deceitful words, you know? And this is why it's so important to consistently spend time in the Word because it's nourishment for our souls, but it's also the foundation and, cur and the courage that we have to endure when things get hard. Because when the winds and rain of life come beating against your house and your house is built on sand, if it's built on worldly wisdom or self-help books or what's popular in the cultural moment or even our own emotions, which lie to us all the time, our lives will crumble because these things will come and go. But when we build our lives on the solid rock of God's word, a word that never changes, a word that never face, fades away, we can face anything. When you are full of the Spirit and your life gets shaken, the wisdom of Scripture will be flowing from you. Is that true? Is that true? Here's a second insight. Once shaken, Stephen was Christ-like in his forgiveness. Verse 54 of chapter 7. Now when he heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. Do you see that? They put their hands to their ears so that they could stop hearing truth. They didn't want to hear any more. And they rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. 
And when he said this, he fell asleep. So notice what happens here, right? They try to argue with him. They can't win. They try to accuse him. Nothing sticks. They falsely accuse him. It doesn't discredit him. So in order to silence him, they murder him. And there's no indication in our verses that this stoning was legal either, either, that this is most likely mob violence. So Stephen gets on his knees, and the rocks are flying, and it says in verse 58 that as they cast him out of the city to stone him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, what does it mean to lay down their garments? What it meant is that for these men to throw as hard as they could, they took off their coats. They took off their jackets so that they could throw with as much force as possible. And where do they lay their coats? They lay it to the leader of the mob which is Saul himself. Most likely, he was the primary antagonist of Stephen during this time. Now, notice that in the face of injustice and violence, Stephen shows us what it means to be full of the Spirit. He extends Christ-like forgiveness. Look at what he says again, and I've read this so many times, but we have to keep reading this. He called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Stephen's final words are exactly the same words of Jesus on the cross. That as Jesus was being unjustly crucified, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's in this moment in Stephen's story, it is most clear that we see the Spirit of Christ. That as Stephen is being shaken, the Spirit overflows from his life. And what we see is love, is what we see is compassion, what we see is care. And also what we see in this moment of forgiveness is incredible hope. Verse 55. But he, full of the Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing, standing at the right hand of God. Now, when we see the right hand of God, this is language for God's throne room. And because this is God's throne room, it's also the courtroom. Now, in American culture, we separate these two powers, right? The throne room and courtroom. But we have to remember that in ancient history and most nations and kingdoms, when you step into the throne room, it's also the courtroom. And, and we see Jesus here not seated at the right hand of God, but standing. Now, this is unusual because often when we see Jesus in the throne room, he is seated. And that's meant to tell us that the work of salvation is done, that his life, death, and resurrection was perfect. So he sits down because there's no other work that is left to do. It is completely finished. But we see here with Stephen's vision that Jesus was standing as he was about to die. What's going on here? Well, let me ask you, when you're in a courtroom, who are usually the people who stand? It's usually the people who are making a case. It's the people who are making an appeal. When Jesus stands, we have to see this. He is being Stephen's advocate. 
that as Stephen is being condemned in this earthly courtroom, he is being commended in the heavenly courtroom. When there was no one on earth speaking up for Stephen, Jesus was speaking up for him. And this was the picture of Jesus that gave Stephen the power to forgive and endure suffering for the glory of Christ because he knew that the only opinion that would ever matter was the one from his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That whatever this mob was trying to take from Stephen, his reputation, his ministry, his life, God was on his throne. God was in control. It didn't matter what anybody said about him or did to him. His life belonged to Jesus Christ. Amen? And to the degree we understand how much Jesus loves us and advocates for us and has forgiven us, we will be able to radically forgive others. Man, may God teach us to love like Christ. May God teach us through the Holy Spirit to love those who hurt us. May the Spirit keep us from bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts. May the Spirit give us the strength to ask for forgiveness and extend mercy when it's the hardest to do. You know, can I just say, and we've already talked about this earlier in the service, that in our current brokenness as a city and country, right, with the deaths of Adam Toledo, Dante Wright, the current trial for the death of George Floyd, the mass shootings and murders of the Asian spas in Atlanta, the FedEx building in Minneapolis, the grocery store in Boulder, Colorado, and on and on I can go. There is so much anger and frustration in our hearts. And I just want to say that this is not necessarily a bad thing because that anger tells us that something is not right, that something is broken, broken in our hearts, broken in our families, broken in our communities, broken in our systems. But if there is nothing, let me just say this, but if there is nothing but anger in our hearts, we will never be able to experience and give the peace that Christ brings. Because it will always be about an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. There will always be a power game. We must follow the way of Jesus Christ. That Christ wasn't just angry over sin, he also wept over sin. That he didn't cancel and dismiss his enemies, he also pleaded for them and called for their salvation. As a church, we must care about justice because our God is holy and righteous, but we also must be willing to be gracious and forgiving because our God is incredibly merciful. Uh, look at the example of Stephen here. That even though he was called, he, you know, he, he, was, he called this mob a stiff-necked people, and even though Stephen exposed their sin, and even though he suffered at their unjust hands, he faced all of that. He also pleaded for God to save them. His protest of the sin in their lives was not an absence of God's love. His protest was driven by God's love. Stephen was becoming to others what Christ had been to him. When Stephen's life was shaken, he poured out Christ-like forgiveness. Now, when you consider Stephen's life, let me ask you, did he have a meaningful life or a tragic life? Well, what would you say, right? For many from the outside world, they would say that this is incredibly tragic. 
His ministry was brief. And to our knowledge, this was the first and last sermon Stephen would ever give. Could you just imagine, just imagine here at the South Loop Church here, imagine that you had a guy like Stephen and God gave him 50 years of ministry in this church. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine all that he could do? What a shame for him to die so early, right? No, no. What the author Luke tells us after his death is that it was Stephen's very death that brought God glory. Look at verse, chapter 8, verse 1 again. And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except for the apostles here. And verse 3, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, there's a lot going on here, but there's one thing I do want to point out is that it was through Stephen's death that the church finally spread far and wide. Up until this point, the church was still being unfaithful to the Great Commission. They were not going to Judea and Samaria. They were all still bottled up in Jerusalem. But it was through the death of Stephen that it started this incredible persecution within the church, which many at the time would not think was God's will, but it was actually the very, very thing that made the gospel flourish. Stephen's death did just that. In addition, Stephen's message and death deeply impacted Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul. Well, how do we know this? Well, first off, we know that Saul, he was there. He was there at his death, right? We know that he was present for that. And we also know this because we actually have Stephen's sermon in the book of Acts. That we have to ask ourselves, how in the world did the author Luke get so much detail for this sermon that Stephen gave? Who was there to give it to Luke? Was it the Sanhedrin who told Luke? No, I don't think so. Was it the mob who related back to Stephen that this is what he said? No. Luke got this sermon from an apostle that he spent a lot of time with in his missionary journeys. It was the apostle Paul. Do you know what that tells us? Is that as Stephen was dying, as he was giving his message, and as Saul was angry and enraged, guess what happened? Those gospel seeds actually planted in his heart. Many scholars would say that when you look at key themes in Paul's theology, they are all themes that you also see in Stephen's sermon. Is that incredible? Next to Jesus, Paul was the most influential architect of Christianity so that you can, so you can say this, that through Paul, Stephen literally changed the world. That in his Christ-like witness and his Christ-centered sermon where the gospel seeds were planted that led to Saul's conversion. And just one more thing for you to consider. Did you know that Saul becoming the apostle Paul was God answering Stephen's final prayer? Father, forgive them. Forgive them. And what happened to the apostle Paul? He was forgiven. Can I just say that this is what God can do when we radically forgive and pray for our enemies, that he can turn people who are persecuting Christians today into proclaimers of Christ. 
Stephen's death was not a tragedy because his life, even though it was brief, was all about Jesus Christ. It wasn't about prospering. It was about pointing people to Jesus. It wasn't about getting respect and notoriety. It was about serving tables to these widows. His life was all about Jesus. And Stephen's story at the heart of it is what the book of Acts is all about. It's about an extraordinary God, the Holy Spirit, using ordinary people to do extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. Amen? Friends, when your life is shaken, what pours out of it? May we become for others what Christ has been for us. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, even 2,000 years later, we're talking about the story of Stephen. We are learning lessons about his life. But Father, most importantly, we are seeing more of your son, Jesus Christ. And God, I pray, Lord, that that would be true of us as a church. That God, that we would be a church, that we would be a people, just like Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, pointing to the great cross of Jesus Christ, pointing at the glory of your son. God, I would ask that you would help us through the Spirit. Father, we cannot do that on our own powers. That God, especially in incredibly just hard and difficult moments, especially in our society and culture and the things that we're going through even in the pandemic, God, be our strength, be our wisdom, be our guide. Father, we don't want to live a single moment living for ourselves because, Father, that would be a tragedy. Help us to give every minute, even if it's a brief minute of our lives, to give it all for your son, Jesus Christ. Then our lives will be worth it. It's in Christ's name we pray.